got your Bibles, open up to the book of Isaiah. We are in the 44th chapter, starting with verse 24. I don't know about you, but there are times that I just feel that God doesn't make sense. What is he doing? You know, you got to wonder, at times, we, we don't see what we want to see or what we expect to see in our lives going on around us. You know, God has wired me to be a very analytical thinker. I can look at things and I can tear them down to their bases and, and try to figure things out. Now, granted, I don't do that perfectly every time because I'm not perfect. But I think logically, and I think analytically, and that's how God has made me. And there are times that God does things that just doesn't seem logical. He just doesn't, what he does doesn't seem, in my mind, in my human, my, my limited human understanding, doesn't seem to add up. Now when we get to Isaiah 55, we're going to explore this a little bit deeper. But in our verses today, we're going to see that God is going to use a king. A king who does not worship him. A king who very notices him very little. In fact, this king is very much notices all the other gods and yet does not even really pay homage to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Couldn't God choose someone more worthy? In our humanness, that might be something we might think. Why does it? Why does God use? In fact, Jeremiah, Jeremiah is actually going to ask that question. How could you do this? How could you use the pagans to actually discipline your holy children? You see, God's ways are not our ways. We don't are not always going to be able to understand them. I mean, think about this. If it was up to you and I, we probably would have dropped Israel, you know, while they were out of the desert, complaining, worshiping an idol, griping, causing Moses all kinds of trouble and, and grieving God. <coughs> if it was up to us, we would have just let them wander in the desert forever until they were not existent anymore. In fact, God told Moses, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to build up a nation through you. And Moses pleaded with him, Lord, don't do that, because everybody will think that you are just brought him out here to kill them. It will not honor your name. But that's what we would do. It's a human response. But see, God had made promises to, all the way back to Adam and Eve. He had made promises to Abraham. And God is a promise keeper. He promised Israel in a process he's going to redeem the whole world. Now, granted, not everyone, because not everyone is going to turn and accept him and surrender to him. But all of creation will be redeemed. Those who call upon his name will be saved. And he's still working that plan out today. I know sometimes you look at the world and you wonder, man, is God even doing anything? He is. God is still working out his plan. And it is by his greatness that it will be accomplished. So let's go to Isaiah 44. Starting with verse 24. 
Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by itself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built." And I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry? I will dry up the rivers. It's almost like Yahweh is, what he's doing is he's actually, he's getting, getting, he's answering doubts that haven't even been answered, asked yet. You think about this. He's saying, this is who I am. This is, this is what I'm doing. You, we shouldn't doubt what God's doing because this is who he is. We, we shouldn't be able to raise objections. Well, God, I don't understand what you're doing. But yeah, because you're not God. I think some people today need to be reminded of that. What God does may not make sense to us, but he is God. He is Lord. He is Redeemer. The Apostle John, who was close to Jesus, this is what he wrote about Christ. He says, in John 1, 3, he says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was made through him. And if it was made, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't be here. And then Paul gives us, tells us that Jesus holds all things together. In Colossians 1.17, he says, And he is before all things. Before everything was created, Jesus was. God was before all things. And all things to hold together in him. All things were made through him. By him, all things. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, as I've said this before, our atoms would split apart if we, if we didn't have Christ. If it wasn't for Jesus, our, all of us, we, we wouldn't be here. It's God who created all things. It's God who holds all things together. It's God who makes the wise seem foolish. It's God who confirms the words spoken by the prophets. And it's God who makes all things come to pass. God is sovereign. That's what sovereign means. He is ruler of all things. He, everything happens because God either causes it to happen or he allows it to happen. People ask, well, how can God, how can God cause babies to be murdered? He doesn't cause it, he allows it because he allows us free will and he allows evil to reign for a purpose for the day of judgment is coming what's interesting in these in verse 26, we see a glimpse of the counsel of God that we read about in Deuteronomy 32 in Psalm 82 verse 26 says and fulfills the counsel of his messengers messengers is malak which is the Hebrew word for angel so here we have the council again. Anybody who believes the council is not in Scripture, there it is again in Isaiah. God declared that Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. And Yahweh will share with us how and whom he's actually going to do it with. He's, he's got somebody chosen who's going to rebuild Jerusalem. And we see that in verse 28 says, who says Cyrus, 
He is my shepherd. Remember, God says, I, I do all these things. I'm creator of all things. I do all this. Who says, Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now, previous to this, we've had indications that there's somebody in the wings. There's somebody that God is going to use. He's, he's made reference that he's going to raise up somebody. And, we, and many people think it's, it was the Messiah. And yes, it does look forward to the Messiah. But there's been many Messiah figures within Israel's history. One, obviously, being Moses. Going all the way back to Noah. Noah being one. Moses being one. David being one. And obviously, Christ will be the Messiah. But there's other, th other people who will, who will help the Jews. And here we have his name, Cyrus. Now, many scholars believe that this was added later because this was written um, quite a few years before, before it actually happened, before even Cyrus was even king. Cyrus had not even been king yet, wasn't even on the radar. But there are some who disagree, because what this is, this is actually part of a whole poem. And the whole poem comes down to, it's a prophetic poem, comes down to, like the, it's like the cliffhanger, and all of a sudden you find out the answer, and it's Cyrus. His name is part of that poem, reveals his name. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nerd out a little bit on Cyrus, because I love history, and I love how, see how God works through history. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history about Cyrus. We call him Cyrus the Great in history, but scripture never uses that description of him because he is not great compared to King Jesus. Cyrus, according to historians, he was the grandson of King Astigius of the Median Empire. Astigius dreamed that Cyrus would overthrow him, so he tried to have him killed. But an official given, taken, who was given the task of going and killing Cyrus had, had pity on him and his mother, so he hid them with a shepherd. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? A king wanting to kill a child? Sounds very familiar. Sounds like Herod trying to kill Jesus. As they say, there's nothing new under the sun, and humans always act the same way. We act the same way as they did back then. Then in 554 B.C., Cyrus fulfilled his grandfather's dream, and he led a revolt and entered the Median Empire by merging it with the Persian Empire. So we get the Medo-Persian Empire. Cyrus would go on to conquer all of the Middle Eastern lands and all the way to the border of Egypt at that point in time in 554. He had, had, during that time and during that campaign, he conquered all the way to Egypt. He ultimately will take Egypt also as part of the kingdom. Now, he goes all the way up into Turkey, parts of Greece, all the way to parts of the modern day of modern day India. Egypt comes under his control ultimately. He also takes over the Babylonian Empire. Babylon being in the Fertile Crescent there in what's the, today modern day Iraq, there between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. In October 29th, 539 BC, Cyrus's army enters Babylon. They arrest the king of Babylon. And the king's name was Belshazzar. That name should sound familiar if you know your Old Testament, you know Daniel. Right before the invasion, the prophet Daniel interprets a writing 
Belshazzar is, is celebrating. And so he tells him, tell you what, go get all of the gold, all of the cups from the Jews that we took from their temple, that my father took from their temple. And bring it in here. And they start drinking from these cups. And they basically dishonor God. And all of a sudden, you, you see the, everybody in there sees a hand, just the hand, only the hand, writing a message on the wall in a foreign language. Nobody can interpret it. And Daniel comes in, and what the message basically says is that Belshazzar will lose his kingdom that very night. And that very night, Cyrus's men enter Babylon and actually kill the king. God uses who God uses. Now Cyrus was a, a polytheist. He believed in many gods. He was a syncretist, which means he liked to syncretize all the gods together. But it seems that he, he really never really included Yahweh in that. He tried to mix religions together as much as possible. He, he rebuilt many of the temples to the different gods. He, he did not acknowledge Yahweh as the true and only living God, but God did still choose to use him. And God reveals to us a hundred years before Daniel who, he, who Cyrus is. And what's God going to do? Verse 45. Yeah, chapter 45, verse 1. I'm sorry. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, his Messiah, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to lose the belts of kings and to open doors before him the gates may not be closed. I, when I'm reading that, I'm thinking that all you mothers have been in the store and you're trying to get your child, so what do you do? You grab their hand and you drag them along, right? That's what God is doing to Cyrus. He's saying, come with me. You're going to do these things. And he takes him. He says, I, I, whose right hand I have grasped. He says, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by name. It is God who does it. He uses Cyrus to do it, but it's God who makes it happen. God uses the movers and the shakers of history, even if they don't acknowledge him. Whether it's Julius Caesar, Tilda the Hun, Hitler, Queen Elizabeth, George Washington, or Joe Biden, God can use them. Or he can just let them do their thing and still use them. God gives them power, and then he holds them accountable for how they use that power. That's something we've got to understand. The leaders that we have over us, they wield a lot of power. That power comes from God. If they misuse it, if they don't give God the glory for it, they one day will pay for it. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, doesn't matter who they are. 
God has given them a lot of responsibility and a lot of power. If they misuse it, they will pay for it in eternity. They will. Either if they're believers, their reward will be not so great because of what they did if they didn't honor God and what they did. Or if they're not a believer, they will not be with him for eternity. He created them. They belong to him. No matter what office they hold, the rulers of our nations are stewards and must answer to the master. Even the great king Nebuchadnezzar, he finally had to admit, and he does this in in Daniel 4, 34, he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. He had been told because he didn't honor God, he was given the opportunity to give God the glory and he didn't, he took the glory himself. So God made him act like an animal for years. He, had, he was on his hands and knees. He was eating grass. He was, and he didn't bathe. And he was hairy. It was, it was, he was a beast. But ultimately, God lifted him back up. And he lifted his eyes to heaven, and my reasons returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is a non-believing pagan who says these things about Yahweh. And why is God choosing to use Cyrus when he doesn't acknowledge Yahweh above all other gods? Because number one, we saw earlier in the verses it says, so that he will know that I am God. But even in verse 4, he goes on to say, For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. For the sake of Israel, God chooses Cyrus to do this. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Our, our scientists today, our evolutionists, will sit there and say, no, it's not possible. There's, there can't be a God. It, has, it took millions of years. And then you start saying, no, wait a minute. Show me. Prove it to me. So they try to prove it. And God says, he laughs. He says, I'll show them. And we have something like Mount St. Helens. I don't know if you guys remember when Mount St. Helens blew, exploded off the side of the mountain and the mud slid down. That proved the flood. Because the way things moved showed that it is possible for the layers to be created that we see like in the Grand Canyon in a moment, in an instant. Why do you think they're finding, they don't tell you this, but why do you think they find dinosaur bones and fossils all the way at the top of Mount Everest? How did they get there? And they're not human, they're not animal, they're sea creatures. How? How did it happen? See, we, we look at our world and we think that we know best. We can see it. We can see science tells us that these things happen. We have no clue. 
It is God who does that. It's God who brings the sun up in the morning. It's God who makes the planets be where they're going to be. It's God who puts us, we talked about this many weeks ago, God who puts us in this little bitty zone called the Goldilocks zone that only life can exist in our solar system in this zone. About three planets wide. That's it. No place else in our solar system can life exist. It's the only place water can be water and liquid. And we have life. Who does that? God. God does it. And he does this and shows it to us so that we may know that he alone is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. See, God doesn't allow trouble in our lives and doesn't allow calamity and darkness to occur and then blame someone else. You know, when, when, uh, when the black death came, when the plague came, you know, God's not up there saying, well, you know, it's their own fault. They did it. They caused it. Or the devil did it. I let, I let him loose for just a while and look what he did. No. God says, that's me. I do that. Because why? I want you to know that I am God. The problems throughout human history are created by God for His redemptive purposes, or He allows them to happen. Evil, no matter how evil, cannot deprive God of His intended outcome. Satan thinks that he's going to throw out everything that God does. So he's, he's, that he's going to win. Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't think he thinks he's going to win. He thinks he's going to win for a moment. He's looking forward to that moment. But he's going to cause as much trouble as he can. But you know what? He's only able to do that because God allows him to. And this is why you and I, we must trust him. We must turn to him. We must, we must repent of the things that we do. Repent means you turn the other way. You confess your sins. You accept him as your Savior. And then you live your life, and, and you live your life focused on Him. And, and I'm telling you, it's not a matter of works. I don't, I don't wake up every day and say, okay, here's, here's my list of things i got to do to be a Christian today. No, I don't, because what I, because God does all those things in me. So I have to say, I trust you, God, to work with me. And when I, when I don't do those things, it's because I've turned away from you. Work in me, change me, move me, do whatever you need to do for me to be your child. It's not a matter of works. It's a matter of faith. And it's by His sovereign power, those who delight in Him will receive salvation and righteousness. That's what He says in verse 8 of chapter 45 of Isaiah. It says, Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear, may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. You and I don't have to be righteous. We will be righteous if we rest in Christ. If we pursue Him in our life, if we make Him the center of our lives, we will be righteous. But it's not our righteousness that it does it. It's His righteousness coming down to us. Because it says... Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open up that salvation may, salvation righteous may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. This is what God promises to do for us and in us. New life, 
coming from that life that was dead without His grace. And we need to rejoice for what God is doing. But sadly, many times we don't. In fact, I would argue that many times we fight God. We, str- we struggle against Him. We, don't, we want our own way. That's the sin nature in us that Paul tells us we have to put to death. But, but I want those things. I desire them. Yeah, sin is fun. Sin, sin, we think it's fun. But it destroys. What God gives us is even greater if we just embrace it and seek Him. He warns us in verse 9. He says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed you. Woe to you if you fight God. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. You know, as I'm forming, I think of a potter. You know, I'm making, granted, I am no potter. I think that's what they're called. (laughs) I'm not a potter. You know, my cup would be all kind of weird looking. But God's perfect. So he makes it. But the pot can't ask the potter, why are you making me? Why aren't you giving me handles? Woe to him who says to the father, what are you begetting? Or to to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, ask me of the things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? You cannot tell God what to do. He has it all planned out. The question is, are we going to follow him? Are we going to trust in him? Are we going to rely on him every moment of every day? He says, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their Host. Now understand, God's not afraid of our honest questions. He's not afraid of us to ask Him why. He's not afraid of us to ask Him. I mean, Job did it. Now granted, the answer he got may not have been what he wanted because his answer was, I'm God, you are not. And then I always add the Chris version, suck it up, buttercup. You know, life is what it is. Don't worry about it. Keep your eyes firmly focused on Christ. Trust Him. He's not afraid for us asking questions, though, but when we accuse Him of bungling our lives, why did you do this to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? He's offended. Who are we to judge Yahweh and His actions? We're ants. We're nothing. Faith in God is not always easy. Because many times you and I, we can't see the forest for the trees. We look at things and we don't see the whole picture. We get so focused on our current calamity, the current problems in our lives, many times it causes us to do foolish things. Or our foolish actions cause us to do even more foolish things and for calamity to come into our lives. That we cannot see how God can use. We don't see how He uses our blunders for His glory. Have I made mistakes in my life? Yes, I have. Have they been big mistakes? Oh, yes, they were. But I look back at them now and I think, God has got me through that. I turned away from Him and I wasn't paying attention. I did what I wanted to do. But through it all, God has brought me to where I need to be. And tomorrow I may make a mistake again. Okay? But that's okay. And the beauty of thinking in that way is because then you think, well, what about all the people around me? What about the mistakes they make? They may be so angry. 
Okay, they're just like you. They're broken just like you. God says, I'll take care of it. I am the one who made you. I am the one who made them. Verse 13. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. He's now talking about Cyrus again. And he's saying that the things in our lives that we believe will hamper God's plan for our lives are not of great consequence to God. He can overcome them all. He overcame death. That's a pretty big deal. Yours and my little problems we have and little issues we have, he can overcome them too. If we trust him. He wants us to have an enthusiastic faith in him. Verse 14. It says, Thus says the Lord, The wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature, I shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God beside him. What is, what's God saying here? We live in a world that admires those who are rich who admires those who are wealth and power. And if they have wealth, they're going to try to get power. There's this organization, begins with a W, ends with an F. I don't want to say it because they'd probably take me off of YouTube. Okay? These men and women have wealth and they have power. But you know what? In the end, they too will bow to Christ. It'll be too late for them if they don't believe in Christ. If they don't trust him now, in the end when he comes, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will bow to him. Even Satan himself will bow to him and say, Jesus is Lord, much to his chagrin. But people seek them out and pay them honor. These are the people of the, the, uh, the wealth of Egypt and the mer- merchandise of Cush. These are the, at that time, these were the rich. These were the people who had the power. But that's not how it's always going to be. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The fools, the rascals of this world of today are being uplifted by the world. The schemers, the profiteers, the world lifts them up. But one day they're going to be humbled before those who are the saints. Now you can imagine, at this point in time, the Jewish people felt extremely defeated. They must have. And consequently, they felt that if they're defeated, and their God is Yahweh, then He's defeated. See, Satan, I think he wants us to think that he's going to win. He wants us to think that God can't fix it, that God can't do what he needs to do for you. God can't use you. He tries to defeat us, and he thinks he's going to defeat God. But all things belong to God. He's the potter. He gets to decide how it's formed. He's the one who created us in our mother's womb. He's in, but the world corrupts us, but he's the one who's able to make it right. If... We surrender to him. That's hard. But God does as he pleases. Jesus echoed this idea in Matthew 20. He says, I am, I am, I am, am I, I says, am I not allowed to do what I choose 
with what belongs to me. He says, don't I get to get to with what I want? If I go and, and I buy something, let's say, let's say I buy a, a weed trimmer, gas-powered, no, I'll do electric-powered weed trimmer, a little one, and I decide to cut my whole yard, a whole, let's say I have a whole acre of land, and I decide to cut it with that weed trimmer. I may be crazy, but I can do that because it's mine. Okay? And you may look at me and think, you're strange. <laughs> crazy. When you can get a lawnmower and do it a lot quicker. But it's mine. I get the choice. Jesus says, don't I get to do what I choose or what belongs to me? Or do you begrudgingly begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. God's strategies are truly amazing. He is working this all out. And here's the thing. I think the problem is, and the problem today is, as churches, as pastors, as leaders, we want things to be successful. We want things to be big. We want, you know, and we want to do it. We want to be the ones that get the accolades for it. And God says, no, 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 the meek. It's the meek that shall inherit the earth, not the strong, not the ones that are out there pushing an agenda, not the ones who are the everybody turns to. It's the meek. The mild. Isaiah goes on in verse 15. It says, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. <laughs> I imagine that when Christ comes back, there's going to be people who are like, Man, I'm just, how could this happen? Why, why didn't I see it? You did. It was offered to you, and you denied it. He goes on, but Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. See, it's the Lord who does, it's God who does the saving. It's not because Israel cleaned up its act and tried harder to live a life they were supposed to. It is God who saves us. Nothing we do saves us. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God. Who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. That's, that's one of the things that drives me crazy about some of the modern day thinkers today. Oh, well, we've got to decrease the population. To, I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Fill it. The only reason why we can't, we, when we, currently we can support a law, huge population if we start being smart. The only reason why we can't is because we're greedy. This world can produce even more. We're in the middle of a, a beginning of a population drop, a crash. And we're going to see, this is part of what we're seeing today is a result of that. And it's going to get even worse because we're not doing what God told us to do. God will take care of it. If we Follow him and obey his rules. I am the Lord, there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek, seek me in vain. God's not hiding. Paul tells us in Romans, man's without excuse. All of, all of nature, all of creation shows God. We just choose to ignore it. He doesn't speak in secret. He doesn't tell us, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. It's hard for us to see the whole picture. 
And while the truth may be right in front of us, maybe hidden sometimes from our natural eyes, but it's right in front of us, if we accept what is clear in Scripture, God will give us more understanding. He'll show us what seems unclear. Have you ever been, have you ever been reading Scripture and you've read it many times and it's all of a sudden it says something and you're like, oh, I never knew that was there. How many of you know, we just did this a couple weeks weeks ago in Sunday school class, how many of you know that when when Christ was risen from the grave that there were other people who came out of the grave? Some of the saints came out of the grave. Most of us don't know that. We don't realize that. It's in Scripture. But there were some who came out of the grave. Besides, you know, just just Jesus, there were others. These things that we miss. But God says, if you, if you seek, if you see the things that you can understand and you read deeper, I'm going to reveal it to you. I challenge you to sit down when you go to read scripture. Pray, Holy Spirit, teach me, show me, open my eyes. God will make clear what is unclear. But we have to trust him. But we also have to test the spirits. We have to make sure that we're not listening to something that we shouldn't listen to. Because if we don't, if we listen and we trust in God and we listen to the Holy Spirit only, there will be great benefit for us. Verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. He's telling them, come together. Don't separate. And the New Testament tells us, don't stop meeting together. Come together. Iron sharpens iron. says, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Again, he's telling them, come reason with me. Talked about that the last couple weeks. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, the righteous God and Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Come to me. God says, come and reason with me. Learn from me. And we do this by gathering together as we're doing today. The idols of this world, the things that we place in our lives, they're worthless. They're tools. It's many of them. Our, our cell phones are tools that we can use, but they're, we can't make them our God. You're like, well, I don't worship it. Really? I dare you to start logging how much time you spend on your phone and then how much time you spend in the Bible. And I know what you're going to say. I'll just get a Bible app and I'll do both. Okay. But then how many times are you on your phone, the Bible app, and you haven't even finished the whole chapter and you're going off and checking your email or a text message pops up and you see the distractions? Okay. And believe me, doing that is not so you're going to be saved. You're doing that because you're drawing closer to God and He will keep you. Idols today don't have life. There's no salvation. There's no hope at all. I said this last week, no person in office is going to save us. I don't care who we put in there. They will not save us. There's only one who can save and that's Jesus Christ. It's only through Yahweh that we find life, hope, and salvation. 
And what does God say? He says, by myself I have sworn, in verse 23, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me a righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. A day is coming when everybody will stand before the throne of God. And those of us that have already been redeemed will have nothing to fear. He'll say, enter into your reward. But those of the world who have not will say, how do we end up here? And there there will be no excuse. And they will go away to eternal punishment. You and I have to look past the unimpressiveness we see in each other as followers of Christ and trust in God enough to join Him at the cross. And we can either bow to Him now in humble submission to who He is in our lives or we can cling to the hurt feelings, the unfulfilled expectations, the broken dreams, our stubborn pride. But ultimately, we will bow to Him one day. But will it be in joy because of who He is in our life? Or will it be in regret for what our lives have been? He's given us an ultimatum. And the time to decide is now. No matter what has happened in our past, no matter what we've lived, we've got a choice today to make. Am I going to follow Christ? And it's not that I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder to not sin. What I'm going to do is I'm going to trust God more. I'm going to put my faith more in Christ. He's always going to give me a way out of temptation if I look for it. So when something's tempting me, I'm going to say, God, help me. How can I not do this, Lord? Trust in Him. Go to Him. Seek Him. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with other people praying, asking questions, reasoning with them about what's in the Word. Don't do this alone. You're not alone. It's time to look to Christ. It's time to turn to Christ and be saved. And that's what we celebrate in communion.